Good morning. Today, our chapel speaker is Megan Pardue. Megan pastors Refuge Home Church in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, she's a graduate of one of our sister schools, Southern Nazarene University in Oklahoma. She's also a graduate of Duke Divinity School, where she now teaches preaching, which is awesome. She is a wife, a mother of two small children, and she's passionate about justice. So we're going to hear a little bit about that from her. If you're interested in meeting with her, asking her questions, we'll be in the cafeteria around noon. Um, we'll be there until 1230, later than 1230. So if you're in class, come by afterwards. If you want to know even more, she'll be uh, speaking with the North Street Community Church in Hingham this week about a little bit of a different topic, but still about justice. Um, and so that's at 1030 in Hingham. So let's welcome Megan. Thank you, Emily. Good morning. So great to be with you. This is my first time in Boston. I've never been here before. And I know it's really cliche to talk about the weather, but yesterday when I flew out in my long sleeves and long pants, it was 90 degrees. So I am so happy to be here in the fall with you. And it feels like fall and it's so cliche and I don't want to be that person. But when I walked out this morning, I thought, oh, this is heaven. Honey pumpkin spice latte people out there? All right. Pretty basic. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal sicknesses. He sent them out to proclaim God's kingdom and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No walking stick, no bag, no bread, no money, not even an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, remain there until you leave that place. Wherever they don't welcome you, as you leave that city, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. They departed and went through the villages proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen and amen. Please pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, our rock, all that we need, and our Redeemer. Amen. They'd been enrolled in the Jesus Academy for a few weeks at this point. They went to class together, hearing Jesus preach and taking in every word. They ate food together in different people's houses, in crowded restaurants, or picnics on the fields at a rest stop along their journey. They even watched Jesus 
as he did things they had never seen before. Calming a storm with his words, casting out demons, healing a woman who had been bleeding for 12 long years, even raising a dead girl back to life. On this particular morning, Jesus gathered the disciples close to him at breakfast. He had some news to share, a change in that day's lesson plan. See, Jesus gave them, the disciples, power and authority and wanted them to continue his mission, to head out there. You can see the disciples getting a little uncomfortable, <laughs> fidgety, with this idea that they too are going to be preaching the gospel, healing the sick. But then Jesus hits them with the real news. Take nothing with you. Take nothing with you. Jesus doesn't say, instead of a rolling suitcase, just take your backpack. He says nothing, and he means nothing. No bag, no bread, no money, no walking stick, not even an extra shirt. Take nothing with you. As I said, I just arrived in Boston last night from North Carolina. I'm going to be in town for three days and three nights. I took a little inventory of my carry-on bag. Are you ready for this? Here we go. One MacBook charger, one MacBook. One iPhone and charger, headphones. A wallet, including three forms of possible payment. Two shades two shades of lipstick, two notebooks, one book, one pencil case, three manila folders, snacks, including cashews, almonds, and pumpkin seeds, one water bottle, one coffee mug, reusable cutlery, medication, a bill that I need to remember to pay when I leave here, and two apples. Three days, three nights. I'm not planning to heal anyone, and this is the contents of my bag. All right, I also have a suitcase, but I'll spare you the details. Jesus sends them on this journey. He says nothing, and he means nothing. Take nothing with you on this journey. Not to be harsh or anything, but Jesus, this sounds kind of like a foolish idea. <laughs> if you're going to send people out, why not send them fully equipped can't they be better at this whole disciples thing if they're, if they're better prepared? What if they encounter a pack of wild dogs on the journey and they don't have that walking stick to shoo them away? What if they don't make it to the village before nightfall? Jesus, do you really want them to sleep on the ground without any food when they could have just packed a sandwich and a few bucks in their bag? Not even an extra shirt, Jesus. Do you know how hot it is out there? They're going to show up in these people's houses smelling terrible. Take nothing with you. 
Why send them out so unprepared and ill-equipped? Why can't they just take their stuff? Is it that if the disciples take their stuff, they won't depend on God for their provision? You might remember that when God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, they found themselves in the desert without food or water. But then God provided both. Manna, bread that fell from heaven like rain. And water, gushing forth from a rock. Or is it that they should depend on the hospitality of others? Jesus clearly assumes that the disciples' needs will be met by the hospitality of those they meet. They'll encounter strangers willing to open their doors, give them three meals. Maybe if they brought their own sandwich and an extra shirt, maybe they'd be tempted to take care of themselves instead of depending on others. Or maybe is it that Jesus knows something about how our stuff gets in the way of doing the work we're called to do. Jesus knows our stuff gets in the way of following the way of social justice. Take nothing with you. How could this be? It's just stuff. Except if we're honest, our stuff has a lot of influence over how we spend our time, how we spend our money, even the people that we choose to be around. It's just in the last year that I've started taking a harder look at my stuff and how much it's been getting in the way. The wasted time, the distraction, the energy, the cleaning, the comparison to other people. I had no idea. Our stuff gets in the way. A wasted 30 minutes online shopping for something that you don't need. It's just 30 minutes. But what does that 30 minutes add up to over the course of a year? And then there's this pressure to get a good job for those of you who are graduating in the spring. A good job where you can get a bigger apartment to hold all of your stuff in a safer part of town where there's less risk of your stuff getting stolen. Or maybe it's saying no to hanging out with your friends because you've really got to clean your room, fold your clothes, bring some order to the chaos that is your stuff. And then there's even the assumptions that some of us make about other people, people we don't even know, based on how they're dressed, 
as if it's clothes on bodies that tells us whether or not we'll have something in common with another person. Jesus knows our stuff gets in the way of following the way. Take nothing with you on the journey. Not even an extra shirt. Jesus begins with this extra shirt. So let's take a longer look at clothes for a moment. I will be the first to admit, I love clothes. I do. I tried on three outfits in packing my suitcase to decide what to wear today. And my daughter, who's three, she hated all of them. She looked in my closet and picked out this black sequin vintage dress that screams New Year's Eve party. And that's what she wanted me to wear to preach here for you this morning. If you have me back, maybe next time. I love clothes, but even if you don't love clothes, if you'd rather go to the dentist than go shopping for clothes, or even if you grew up in a household where there was never enough money for new clothes or cool clothes, even if that is still the case, stick with me for a moment. I took a really good look around the room during the worship time. We all have something in common. Every single one of us here today, we're all wearing clothes. And for that we say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Our clothes have a huge impact, huge impact on the environment. All right, say that you go to Target to buy some granola bars and shampoo, okay? And, and on your way to the grocery aisle to get those granola bars, do we have a picture of this? All right, you pass a rack of clothes, and the colors and the prints, they just jump right out at you. I mean, look at these stripes. Who doesn't love that? All right, you see this t-shirt, black and white stripes to go great in your wardrobe, and you look at the tag, and it's only $8. $8. There's a lot of snickering. Does this look like someone you know? <laughs> All right, you, you grab that $8 t-shirt, and you put it in your basket. $8. Perfect. What a surprise. Off to the granola bars. So you take that new shirt home, you wear that new shirt three, maybe four times before it gets buried deep inside of your drawer, only to be donated at the end of the school year on move out day because the fit, let's be honest, it wasn't quite right and stripes, they aren't really your thing after all, but it was only $8, no big deal, right? Well, that extra shirt actually costs a lot more than $8, argues Eve Andrews, who studies this stuff. That shirt costs the earth and the people who made it a whole lot more. It takes 2,720 liters of water to make one t-shirt. 
That's how much we normally drink in a three-year period. One t-shirt, three years of drinking water. And so much energy is required. Approximately nine pounds of carbon dioxide goes into the atmosphere in the production and transportation alone for one t-shirt. That doesn't include the energy that you use driving that t-shirt home from Target, washing it three or four times, drying it, and then putting it back in your car to take it back to Goodwill when you've decided you're done with it. 20% of global industrial water pollution comes from the treatment and dyeing of textiles. Our water that we drink in the US, it's filtered and treated when it comes through our faucets. But someone else or something else in our oceans is drinking that. Most of us have so many clothes that a garment is worn an average of four times, four times by one person. All of these resources and energy for only four wears. And when we're done with our clothes, we either give them away or throw them away. But away isn't a real place. They always end up somewhere. And dealing with our waste puts another huge strain on the planet. So that one $8 t-shirt costs the earth a whole lot more than just $8. But what about the people who process the fabric, who cut it and sew it, package it and ship it? What's their cut of the $8? Garment workers are among the lowest paid in the whole world. And the work that they do is dangerous, often in fire-prone factories. The majority of these workers are women who are subject to all kinds of abuse. So our stuff gets in the way of following the way, of doing the work of social justice. But it doesn't end there. It's more than that. Our love of stuff has catastrophic effects on the environment and the people who make our stuff. But why is it so hard to leave our stuff behind? Why is it so hard to take nothing on the journey? The Story of Stuff Project is a YouTube video series that investigates how people in the United States are obsessed with their stuff. I hope that some of you have seen these videos before, and if you haven't, that you'll go watch them later. But this clip we're gonna watch addresses this exact thing, why it's so hard to break the cycle of loving our stuff. Take a look. Fashion is another prime example of this. 
Have you ever wondered why women's shoe heels go from fat one year to skinny the next to fat to skinny? It's not because there's some debate about which heel structure is the most healthy for women's feet. It's because wearing fat heels in a skinny heel year shows everybody that you haven't contributed to that arrow as recently, so you're not as valuable as that person in skinny heels next to you, or more likely in some ad, it's to keep us buying new shoes. Advertisements and media in general plays a big role in this. Each of us in the US is targeted with over 3,000 advertisements a day. We see more advertisements in one year than people 50 years ago saw in a lifetime. And if you think about it, what's the point of an ad except to make us unhappy with what we have? So 3,000 times a day, we're told our hair is wrong, our skin is wrong, our clothes are wrong, our furniture is wrong, our car is wrong, we are wrong, but it can all be made right if we just go shopping. Media also helps by hiding all of this and all of this. So the only part of the materials economy we see is the shopping. The extraction, production, and disposal all happens outside of our field of vision. So in the US, we have more stuff than ever before. But polls show that our national happiness is actually declining. Our national happiness peaked in the 1950s, the same time that this consumption mania exploded. Hmm, interesting coincidence. I think I know why. We have more stuff, but we have less time for the things that really make us happy. Friends, family, leisure time. We're working harder than ever. Some analysts say we have less leisure time than any time since feudal society. And do you know what the two main activities are that we do with the scant leisure time we have? Watch TV and shop. In the US, we spend three to four times as many hours shopping as our counterparts in Europe do. So we're in this ridiculous situation where we go to work, maybe two jobs even, and we come home and we're exhausted. So we plop down on our new couch and watch TV, and the commercials tell us, you suck. So you gotta go to the mall to buy something to feel better, and then you gotta go to work more to pay for the stuff you just bought. So you come home and you're more tired, so you sit down and you watch more TV, and it tells you to go to the mall again, and we're on this crazy work, watch, spend treadmill, and we could just stop. We're on this crazy work, watch, spend treadmill. But we could just stop. We could just stop. Jesus calls those of us here today, he calls us disciples. And like these 12, he sends us on a mission to offer Christ's healing to others, to preach the gospel, which says that the last will be first and the first will be last, to live as if the kingdom of God is here and now, to follow the way of social justice. Jesus calls us disciples. But our culture, our culture calls us by another name, consumers, consumers. Climate change demands that we consume less. It demands that we consume less. We don't have a choice and it's time to stop pretending that we do. But people say that being consumers is all that we know. It's who we are. How could we break this work, watch, spend cycle? 
Jesus calls us by a different name. Disciples. You are my disciples. Take nothing with you on the journey. No walking stick, no bag, no bread, no extra money, not even an extra shirt. There is another way. We could just stop. We could just stop. Now, going on a journey with nothing in our hands, not even an extra shirt, that requires some creativity. Being a disciple in a consumer's world, that also requires some creativity. Here are a few ideas from around the country where different communities are making strides to get off of the work, watch, spend treadmill. Their ideas, I hope they inspire you today. Here we go. The first idea, stop buying clothes altogether. This is the laziest and easiest way to reduce your environmental impact. We could just stop. Don't buy more clothes. And then when you do need something, look at this handy tool. This is called the Biarchy of Needs, a play on Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. So when you do need something, begin at the bottom of the pyramid and then work your way up. First, use what you have. If you don't have it, can you borrow it from someone? Can you swap it? I'm a part of a swapping Facebook group in my city. I had a bike rack that I no longer needed, and someone else, a total stranger, had a car seat that they no longer needed, and so we swapped. I got the car seat, and she got the bike rack, and neither of us had to spend any money. I looked online, and did you know that you have one of these groups right here in your neighborhood? It's called the Buy Nothing Project. You can find it on Facebook for North Quincy and the Wollaston neighborhoods. Right here in your city, the Buy Nothing Project, where you can work on borrowing or swapping from some of your neighbors, maybe people that you've never met before. If you can't swap, then can you thrift? My husband's parents live in this really generic, wealthy suburb, and they have the most fantastic goodwill there. I got these jeans. They always have, I mean, the jean selection is amazing. Is there a place that you can go to get what you need, a thrift store? If you can't thrift it, can you make it? And then after you've climbed the whole pyramid, if you can't make it, buy it. You can Google this tool and have it with you to start reimagining some of the ways that you shop. Another idea is to host a clothing exchange. There's 10 different ways that you could do this, but it involves this event where people bring clothes that they don't want anymore and exchange them with other people who also bring clothes that they don't want anymore. So everyone leaves with new clothes and no clothes end up in the landfill. Here's another way to save the earth. You can wear your clothes for longer before you're done with them. Pretty lazy, right? Wear your clothes for longer. Extending the life of clothing further by nine months would reduce the carbon, waste, and water footprints 
by about 20 to 30% for each garment. You can join the work of activism. All of these graphics are from a group called Hashtag Fashion Revolution. And they're committed to holding brands accountable to their environmental impact and to paying living workers to living wages to the people who work for them. You can check on social media for hashtag slow fashion October, which is a month-long campaign happening right now to heighten our awareness to these issues of justice and the problems of fast fashion. Another really important thing to do is be alert, be aware of advertisers who are trying to claim their hold on you as consumer, not disciple. While preparing for this sermon about not shopping, I read a New York Times article called My Year of No Shopping. That's the name of the article, My Year of No Shopping. While reading about not shopping, I was interrupted twice by ads to get me to shop. Okay, one that wanted me to buy clothes and one that was advertising these new fall boots. So cute, can't live without them. Big heel. Seriously, be aware of the power that this has over you. You are a disciple, not a consumer. You can also ask your grandmother or maybe an older person in your church to teach you how to repair or alter your clothes. Most of us have lost these skills. So we end up tossing things that could easily be repaired or altered to fit better or upcycled, made into something new. Take nothing with you, not even an extra shirt. How is it that God wants to clear away some of our stuff in order to do the work that we're called to do? How does God want to purge our love of our belongings that keep us from following the ways of social justice? How does God want to call this community of Eastern Nazarene College to join in the work God is already doing, redeeming creation? Friends, we could just stop. Just stop. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we say together, amen. This is taken from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 28, and going on to verse 33. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. And now, it is the Lord who goes before you. God will be with you. God will not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Thank you, O God, for your word this morning. We pray that you will continue, Father, to guide us that we should take, not take our shirt with us, that we are disciples and not consumers. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.